Whatever happened to Margaret Clifford, the heir to the Tudor throne? Margaret Clifford is perhaps the least well-known of the Tudor princesses. Born in 1540, during the reign of Henry VIII, she was the only child of Henry Clifford, Earl of Cumberland, and Eleanor Brandon, the second daughter of Henry VIII's younger sister, Mary, the French Queen. Nevertheless, this junior place in the Tudor family tree proved significant. In his will, Henry VIII was to demote the Stuart line of his elder sister, Margaret of Scots, and on Henry's death in 1547, this left little Margaret Clifford seventh in line to the throne, following Henry's three Tudor children, Edward, Mary and Elizabeth, and then the three daughters of Eleanor's elder sister, Frances. These were Lady Jane, Catherine and Mary Grey. But only one of these six claimants would ever have children, Catherine Grey, and they were declared illegitimate, leaving Margaret's line supreme in English law in succession to the Tudor throne. So what do we know about the now forgotten figure of Margaret Clifford? And why were her line destined never to become kings and queens of England? I am the historian Leander Delisle, uncovering the Tudors and Stuarts behind the myths. Margaret's mother, Eleanor, died in September 1547, only a few months after Eleanor's uncle, Henry VIII. This left Margaret's father, the Earl of Cumberland, so unhappy that his servants had to feed him on breast milk to keep him alive. That was his excuse at any rate. Cumberland avoided court in the new reign of Henry's son, the child King Edward VI, as he disapproved of the new Protestant religion introduced by Edward's uncle, the Duke of Somerset. His daughter Margaret was brought up in his northern castles to enjoy her father's fine library. She developed a lifelong passion for literature and also for music. At court, meanwhile, rivalries had seen the execution of Somerset in January 1552 and the new dominance of John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland, as Edward's Lord President. Northumberland wanted to be connected to the Tudor family by marriage and plotted to betroth Margaret to his fourth son, Guilford Dudley, his three elder sons already being married. The story that Guilford Dudley was his mother's favourite is a myth, but Guilford was a handsome youth of 17, tall and fair-haired. Personal attributes, though, were all by the way. In great families, it was the eldest son who was important, followed by his sisters, who were given dowries and expected to form great alliances. Younger sons were worth no more than what the cats left on the malt heap. Guilford Dudley's elder brother, Lord Robert Dudley, the future Earl of Leicester, had married the daughter of a mere Norfolk squire because as a third son, only a respectable union was expected of him. Guilford was even further down the pecking order. Nevertheless, Northumberland pressed ahead. Margaret was the heir to vast estates in the north when Northumberland hoped to become a great magnate. And of course, she was royal. Unsurprisingly, Margaret's father, the Earl of Cumberland, had no wish to marry his daughter to a fourth son and made a series of excuses as to why it was not possible. But Northumberland then asked the king to intervene. On 4th July 1552, Edward sent an extraordinary letter to Cumberland, desiring him to grow to some good end forthwith in the matter of marriage between the Lord Guilford and his daughter, 
with license to the said Earl and all others that they shall travail therein to do their best for conducement of it. Cumberland nevertheless refused the king's wishes. The following year, when the 15-year-old Edward was dying, Guilford was married instead to Margaret's senior cousin, after the Tudors, Lady Jane Grey, who he named heir to the throne. While Cumberland agreed, under who knows what pressure, to betroth the 13-year-old Margaret instead to Northumberland's ageing elder brother, Sir Andrew Dudley. Jane Grey enjoyed a brief reign amounting to only nine days after she was publicly proclaimed queen in London. Cumberland, meanwhile, backed the woman who overthrew her, Mary Tudor. Margaret's forced betrothal was broken as soon as Jane fell in 1553, and two years later, Margaret was married to Lord Strange, later Earl of Derby. The wedding, which took place in 1555 when she was 15, was attended by the Queen and her husband Philip of Spain and provided some of the greatest court spectacles of the reign. Margaret had kept the rich and fine fabric Sir Andrew Dudley had sent for her bridal dress in 1553 and wore it for her wedding to Lord Strange, while the King and Queen had laid on a full day of celebrations. There was a midday feast followed with jousting and a tourney on horse with swords. Supper was then followed with a jeu de canne, in which the king played with such enthusiasm that the queen sent word begging him not to expose himself to danger. Since it was evident that the Catholic Queen Mary did not want her Protestant half-sister, Elizabeth Tudor, as her heir, Margaret Clifford hoped Mary I would name her as heir to the throne instead. Lady Jane Grey had been executed following a rebellion against Mary led by her father in 1554, and Margaret now argued that Jane's younger sisters were tainted in blood and excluded from the throne by reason of their father's treason. But whatever Queen Mary wanted, the fact remained that Elizabeth Tudor was her heir under King Henry's will. And of course it was Elizabeth who inherited the throne in 1558. Margaret had by now matured into an attractive, dark-haired young woman who encouraged her husband to share her intellectual interests. Unfortunately, however, they also shared a love of extravagance. She fell out with her spendthrift husband and they separated in 1567. Queen Elizabeth was highly sensitive to scandal at court and tried to patch up the marriage, but it was without success. Meanwhile, Margaret had not lost hope of inheriting the Tudor throne. Following the death of the last of the Grey sisters, the diminutive Lady Mary Grey, in 1578, Margaret Clifford believed her place as Elizabeth's heir under Henry VIII's will was clear. Her position was strengthened by the fact she had at least two surviving sons of undoubted legitimacy. This was the year that Elizabeth's sobriquet, the Virgin Queen, was first coined. It was now clear, even if Elizabeth married, she would never have children and Margaret's ambitions grew. In the new year of 1579, the traditional time for the exchange of presents, Margaret received the most expensive of all the gifts the Queen had made to her ladies. This recognised her as second only to Queen Elizabeth at court in terms of royal blood. But she suffered a spectacular fall from grace that summer. 
In August 1579, Elizabeth's then proposed bridegroom, the Duke of Anjou, spent several days with the Queen at Greenwich Palace in great secrecy, but the news was leaked. Those judged responsible were Margaret Clifford and a daughter of the Earl of Bedford. As the Spanish ambassador noted, it was Margaret Clifford, as a senior heir to the throne, whose name was the more significant. She was arrested and held at a gentleman's house in London. Her motives appear to have concerned her hopes for the crown. When Margaret Clifford's servants were questioned, one of them described how she had a horoscope cast to discover how long Elizabeth had to live. Margaret insisted that the supposed magician was merely her doctor and that he had been employed since May to rub potions on her aching limbs. The doctor was nevertheless executed for witchcraft and Margaret Clifford was never to return to royal favour. Elizabeth was determined never to name her heir or to allow any one candidate to become too powerful. Each in turn was destroyed, from the Grey Sisters to Margaret to the Stuart Mary Queen of Scots, who was executed in 1587. Margaret Clifford's sons heeded the warning of their mother's fate and would never involve themselves in any plots concerning the succession. In this, they had their mother's belated support. In 1593, when her eldest son, Ferdinando, was approached by a Catholic exile concerning the issue, she advised him to hand the man over to the authorities, which he did. She died in 1596, the last surviving great-grandchild of Henry VII, predeceasing Elizabeth Tudor by seven years. Elizabeth had never named her heir, but by then Elizabeth's leading minister, Robert Cecil, was in touch with a Stuart claimant, King James of Scots. And despite Henry's will and English statute, it was he who would inherit the throne. But that is another story. If you are interested in Margaret's story or anything else about the Tudors or Stuarts, you may enjoy my books, which you can find on my website, leanderdelisle.com. You can also contact me via Facebook and Twitter. Oh, dear.